Good evening, family. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm privileged to share the word with you tonight before we get into baptisms. Uh, so the way this will work is, uh, so I'm going to share a quick encouragement from the word, and then we're going to celebrate with our baptism candidates. Uh, and then, yeah, you can celebrate that. This, there's a... You know, we don't believe that, that people are saved at baptism. Baptism is an expression of the salvation that has occurred in their life. And, but it is very much an adding to our family, an adding to the church baptisms are. And so uh, they're going to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by going under the water and coming up out of the water into the new life that Jesus has for them. More on that later. Uh, we're in a series on Wednesday nights titled Healthy from the Inside Out. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been focusing on the, the idea of community. Pastor Denell spoke last week about family, and we've been highlighting uh, just the many ways that God's people prosper when we do life with one another as God intended. I believe this is especially important for us to look at uh, the idea of community, the idea of family uh, in our culture, uh, because well, first of all, we, we tend to be very individualistic, very, very uh, independent and very much focused on ourselves and our own needs in Western culture. Uh, one of the few terms I remember from George Mason as a communication major was uh, they'd say that your culture is either individualistic or collectivistic. And in an individualistic culture, you were primarily focused on your own needs and your own desires, and your needs were higher than others. And in a collectivistic culture, the needs of the community were higher than the needs of the individual. And the teacher went at great lengths to explain how we were very much an individualistic culture in the West. And so we need to be careful that we don't bring our individualism into the church where we're just looking out for ourselves and we're concerned for ourselves. And otherwise, it's Jesus becomes a, a private Savior, not just not only a personal Savior. It's God's done something remarkable in my life, and he's doing this thing in my life, and, I'm, and, and it's for me and, and only me. But then we'd be afraid to share this love of Christ. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But it's important that we continue to look at this because uh, the community that we find ourselves in and the community that we place ourselves in uh, will either agree with or work against the work of Christ in your life. The same way, whatever meal you eat after you work out works with or against the workout. Right? I worked out for a good six months before I saw any progress because I'd work out and I'm like, I've earned good food. So I'd hit Baja Fresh on the way home and pound some nachos. I worked hard. I tracked the calories on the treadmill. I knew how much I could eat. I know how much work I had done. And so I made up for it with my diet. And then what I didn't know is that I wasn't supposed to do that and that these nachos were working against my workout. And sometimes what we do is we'll show up on Sunday morning, we'll encounter God, we'll encounter God in our quiet time, but then we place ourselves in an environment that works against the work of Christ in our lives. And so we need, to be, we need to be very aware of the community that we place ourselves in. We need to be very aware of the community that we create and that we facilitate as well. Living in community has all sorts of benefits in the Christian life and none more important than protecting us from temptation and the desires and the, and the sin that so easily wants to creep in. You know, the enemy waited until Jesus was alone in the desert to bring him to this place of temptation. 
and he tried to tempt him three different ways. But Jesus being Jesus was a, being God. It took being God for Jesus to be able to resist the enemy, even while he was by himself. You know, um, but I don't think it's any coincidence that the first thing Jesus did after he got out of that trial, after he came out of the desert, probably, you know, ate, you know, whatever the Hebrew nachos were. And then, and then he called the disciples. He called the disciples and started to form a community. He's like, I'm not doing this thing alone. Being alone is awful. I know when I, when I helped start the campus ministry at George Mason, I'd go out there by myself and I'd, I was scared to death. Didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't know what to do. So I'd hide in my computer and I'd go home and my wife would go, you know, hey, how'd it go? Did you talk to anybody? And it's like, uh, you mean like live people? <laughs> no, but I got on Facebook <laughs> and I was scared to death. And, but going out there, I, I decided, you know what? I don't, I don't, you know, you can, you have so many Bible studies all by yourself that you've invited people to and nobody else shows up. I decided I'd ne- I don't want to do this alone. I want to do this with people. If I fail or if I succeed, I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it with other people. And so that's just an, that's just an aside. But uh, the devil's not stupid. You know, if I'm standing with Pastor Sean and Pastor Brett and Pastor Robert, it's easy for me to shrug off a potentially, you know, uh, a potentially provocative situation. Right? It's easy for me to look the other way. If somebody's wearing something tight and you notice it, it's easy to look that way. It's, it's really easy to avoid you know, going to Bonchon when, when Pastor Sean's in the car. It's really easy not to make that turn or to look in the rearview mirror when somebody's with you. It's really easy, isn't it, when the people are around you to resist temptation because community drives away the enemy. It intimidates the enemy. And he looks and he sees, oh, that's somebody who's with people. I can't get them. And one of the neat things about authentic Christian community is that even when we're by ourselves, we're not alone. Even when we're by ourselves, even when Pastor Brett and Pastor Robert, Pastor Sean are not with me in my house or are not with me and we're traveling, when, when we're alone, we're not alone. When we're by ourselves, we're not alone. And when temptation comes, I can call and say, hey, I'm tempted. I need you to pray with me. I need you to stand with me. I need you to fight with me. Because Christian community affords this to us. You know, there's no extra credit for going it alone. Even though we like to think that there is. We love, we love movies like, uh, you know, Taken. Right? Where one guy is going to just shake up the entire dark internet. Right, the entire sex slavery industry is going to be taken down by one man with a gun that he doesn't even have in his hand yet. <laughs> right? Or uh, Bruce Willis, what's what's the die hard? Yeah, die hard. He's just going to go and he's going to deliver everyone. He's going to save the world all by himself. There's one man who was able to save the world all by himself, and he existed in perfect community with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So not even he was alone. I think one of the reasons that God wants us to live in community with one another is because he's always existed in community or a different kind of community in himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they existed in perfect unity with one another. 
existed in perfect love with one another, in perfect fellowship with one another. And he's like, I want my people who bear my name to experience some of what I experience for myself. And that's why unity in the Christian in the Christian community is one of those things that, it, that's why God commands a blessing where there's unity. He's like, that looks a lot like me. Unified and distinct. Going after the same purpose, going after the same thing together. Deferring to one another, honoring one another. Lifting each other up. The early church understood this and they succeeded. They even, they, they thrived against all odds. Because their community was so rich and it was so powerful. And God moved so mightily through them. It wasn't their worship band. It wasn't their nice buildings. It wasn't any of the things that you and I tend to look at first when we decide is God doing something. It wasn't, an exhort, it wasn't in response to an exhortation to protect one another or to have good community. It wasn't in response to an exhortation to start small groups or to participate in a small group. They thrived out of, out of a response to God's call for them to love one another. And I think that if we love one another the way that God commands us to, and we're going to look at this in just a moment, I think we'll see a lot of the fruit that we've been longing for but we'll get it not by going after the result, but by going after God, after the way that God told us to do it. Does that make sense? I said that badly. Sometimes when we want patience, we pray for patience. But patience is a fruit of the Spirit. So what we need is to ask for more of His Holy Spirit so we can bear more fruit. Does that make sense? Sometimes we want the result. We want growth and we want friends and we want intimacy and we want closeness and so or we want protection and so we focus on protection and close and in, uh, closeness and intimacy and all these other things. But what we really need to be doing is focusing on love that will produce these other things. So let's look at the word in uh, John chapter, uh, chapter 15 verses 9 through 12. Jesus says this to his disciples. He's preparing them for his departure. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, I will, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Father, help us as we study. Amen. So if we're going to love one another as he loved us, we need to take a look at how he loved us. And so real briefly, I want to take a look at the ways that he loved us. And then I want to make one last point specifically from John chapter 15. The love of Jesus is active. We should love actively. I know it seems simple because it is. But it's so hard to do, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he did something about it. For God so loved the world that he gave. And we're so familiar with it and we get used to it in terms of offering messages. So God loved and he gave so we should love and we should give, but we should give more than money. 
We should be giving of ourselves. We should be giving of our time. We should be giving of our soul. We should be giving of our resources. We should be giving of, our, of, of, our, of the wholeness of who we are. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't just love the world and feel compassionate. He could have loved the world and felt compassionate. I love them. They're being idiots. They're going to die. They're destroying themselves and each other. I love them. My heart hurts for them. Let me just click the sad face smiley. That's a Facebook thing. Because I feel compassion. No. His, pro- his compassion toward us, his love toward us provoked an action. And that action was the full giving of himself. He condescended from heaven and took the form of a child that wouldn't be able to, to, to walk, wouldn't be able to speak, wouldn't be able to really communicate beyond a cry for the first year of its life. The King of kings and the Lord of lords condescended to that point because of love. It didn't just stop at a thought. His love is selfless and our love should be selfless. Says at the the end of the John 3, 16, we're so familiar with, but so that anyone who believes should not perish, but have eternal life. His love was for our benefit, not his own benefit. And I think sometimes we get in trouble because we love people for our own benefit. I love you because I want you to love me. Not because I'm already loved. We get in trouble when I try and love someone and their love doesn't come back to me the way that I want it to come back. How funny is it that we get upset when somebody's trying to love us in a way that we don't want to be loved? That's how selfish we are. You know, like, you know, (laughs) I'm like, well, Megan, my wife, I really value time and you're writing me notes. And the time that you spent to write those notes is just not meaningful enough to me. <laughs> and so my feelings are hurt because I gave her love the way that I felt like love should be given. Love me the way that I should be loved. But the love of Jesus wasn't selfish. It was for our benefit, not for his, not so that he could feel good. I'm sure his, it, we know that his love for us resulted in him being brutally murdered. How about that for the result of love? Baby, I love you. That was her hitting me. Yeah, but she doesn't do that either. So really, I shouldn't have done any of it. That was terrible. Can we wipe that from the record? Thank you. Here's a quick theological lesson. You guys want to know what justified means? 
Justification is not just as if I have never done it, but it's like, it's like every negative, every wrong thing that you did, like what I just said, instead of just erasing it, it, it actually becomes positives. That's justification. Right? Yeah, whatever. It didn't work, Pastor Brad. I tried to manipulate them with theology. Well, I love you selflessly. <laughs> His love is redemptive. It's a saving love. His love was redemptive. It's saving. It produced life. Our love should produce life. I can't really go into many details at this point for time. But it's a love that doesn't stop because of inconvenience. It's not a love that stops. It's a love that continues and and gives and gives and gives and gives and doesn't take. Because his love is a response to the father's love of him. That's what we see earlier in this passage in, in John 15. He said, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And then in verse 10, he says, as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love, do so with my commands and remain in my love. See, he didn't run out of love because his love wasn't dependent on our response to him. His love the whole time was a response to the father's love of him. So he was continually and always filled with the love of God. As he was multiplying the bread, and I'm sure the disciples were like, here he goes again. He was being filled with the love of God as he healed the crippled, as he, as he cast out the demons, as he, as he brought people back to life. He had, to, he had something to give because he had been always receiving from the Father the whole time. There's a principle in sports that you need to catch it before you run. It's really important because what happens is if you try and run before you catch it, it just hits you and falls away. You also have to have soft enough hands to receive the thing that's being thrown at you. You think that, okay, well, the ball's going fast. You need to have hard hands. No, they got to be soft enough to adjust to the ball so that you can actually receive it. And it's very, very much the same way with the love of God that before we can have any love to give, we need to first receive love from him so that we can have something to give. What's great is it's not just a one-time deposit. It's a, it's a continual deposit that comes by the Holy Spirit so that we can continually receive and continually give the Father's love. I feel like I, there's so much that I want to say here. It has to be a response to the Father's love or we won't have anything to give to others. And we need to hold tight to the Father's love and savor the Father's love and enjoy the, save, the, the, uh, the Father's love and walk closely every single day with the Father's love or we'll fumble it. Because the enemy doesn't like people walking around full of the Father's love, carrying the Father's love, handing out the Father's love. They're gonna try and strip that off of you. So we need to cling to it. 
as important as community is for all of these things. Because what happens is you create an environment where people are loving each other selflessly and loving each other wholly, loving each other with this always and forever kind of love and, and redeeming one another, covering one another, restoring one another, and not running out of love for one another. As much as that creates a secure and confident environment, there are things community can't do for you. Nobody can hold on to the Father's love for you. The same way that nobody can eat for you. Nobody can read the word for you. They can describe the menu to you. They can describe what it tastes like for you. They can even tell you where to get really good food. But they can't eat, you. They can't eat it for you. No one can humble themselves for you. But in community, I will give you an opportunity to practice humility. (laughs) So will the person down the row. And so will you, me. No one can surrender for you. And that's where I want to close tonight. In order to experience the community that God desires for us to have and enjoy the fullness therein, we must be a people who are surrendered to him. We must be a people who say, I'm not going to live according to my own plan and my own purpose. I'm not going to set my own trajectory. I'm not going to determine my own course and my own end. But I'm going to trust this to Christ and to Christ alone. We need to surrender to him. Our, our, not, just, not just our Sunday mornings, but our very soul. We need to receive the love of God by, in a way, rejecting our love of ourselves. Because as we receive the love of God, we'll finally understand who it is that we're supposed to be. We'll finally understand who it is that we're supposed to be together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. but I'm mindful that there was a time where that wasn't true. There was a time where we loved ourselves more than we loved you. We loved our plans more than your plan. We loved our purpose more than your purpose. We loved our, uh, our idea of community more than your idea of community and family. And for that, we're sorry. I thank you that you have won us to yourself by your enduring love by your selfless compassionate action filled always flowing love 